I love Psalm 18. It's one of the, well, it is the longest psalm so far in the Psalter and one of the longest in the Psalter, uh, but it moves really rapidly. As one commentator says, it's filled with dramatic action and intense emotion. And we like that. Um, there's several riveting lines in this psalm, and a couple of them I love using for our birthday cards. You may have received Psalm 18 lines from me. My favorite is, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And if that's all you hear today, please hear it and take it to heart as we wrap up this year and step into a new year. And I think we can say it's, it's the main way in which the Holy Spirit fills your sails as you launch your bark into the unknown waters of this new year as we just pray. Do you know today that the Lord delights in you? Can you, do you have that sense that he delights in me? Well, let's read Psalm 18, uh, 50 verses. Get ready. Here we go. Title is one of the longest, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then... The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coal of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted 
in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight with the merciful you show yourself merciful with the blameless man. You show yourself blameless with the purified. You show yourself pure and with the crooked. You make yourself seem torturous for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way, is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet Like the feet of a deer, he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me in your gentleness. Made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. This good word endures forever for you today. And so I have to give creds to the OGG for helping me choose this psalm to study for this New Year's Eve sermon. The OGG is a clandestine shadow organization within Lawndale that secretly governs everything. Um, That's not the case. It's just a men's group that meets by Zoom. It's the OGG because it's the old guys group. And if you identify with that 
categorization, you are free to join. We'd love to have you. If you don't already have a group, and if you have that kind of time, it's just a Zoom meeting. But anyway, we were studying Psalm 18 several weeks ago, and it's always a joy, as you know, to sit around and study God's Word together, and different insights came up. And at one point, someone, one of the men says, hey, that'd be a great New Year's Eve, uh, excuse me, New Year's, yeah, New Year's Eve sermon. So that's where we are. Let me just give a plug as we enter this new year for men's and women's discipleship. If you have the time and can dedicate it a little bit that you find a group, whether one of the ones we offer or whether some other informal group to become a part of. So as we enter this new year, uh, I want you to, in a special way, put Psalm 18 to work in your life. On the one hand, the Psalms are self-portraits we're to, we're to go to the Psalms to see our own hearts within the varied circumstances of life, the raw, unedited experience of our own hearts that we have trouble describing. The images and the words of the Psalter help us understand ourselves. And furthermore, the Psalms are verbal portrait galleries of God. We go to the Psalms and in vivid imagery, like this Psalm right here, we learn who God is in the hard times and the good times for us. So I want you to increase, as David does here, just thanks in the confidence he has in God as we approach this year. So I have four points. The first is verses one to three, praise for God's past deliverances. Praise for past deliverances. And I just want you to see and to take note of how the psalm begins. It's this eruption, this full-throated, heartfelt outburst of love and affection for God. There's nothing reserved about it, nothing close to the chest about it. It's out there. I love you, O Lord, my strength. David, the king, the, the strong warrior, I love you. Oh, Lord, my strength. And this word for love is, is, is uncommon in the Old Testament. And in fact, the way it's used here is singular. No other place in the Old Testament is it used quite like this. It's this intense love that God sometimes uses or is used for God to describe his love for us in terms of a father who dearly loves his child or a mother dearly loves her child. It's the kind of love that's uniquely evoked by little babies. And, and you know that love. It's this tenacious, passionate love that you have for your little ones, these little ones that you want to take care of. But here uniquely in scripture, David uses that word for love to declare his passionate devotion to God. And you see, genuine faith in God leads here. It leads here. And what is it that induces this kind of ardent affection for God in David. 
Um, the heading has already highlighted it. One of the longest in the Psalter. David says, on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He's overcome by God's against all odds, utterly gracious, complete deliverance from all his enemies. And what really gets him is, you did that for me, like me. Did you notice all the times, me and my and I? Like little old me, like it's like 2 Samuel 7. Who am I? And that may be one reason why David in the title uses servant of the Lord instead of I'm the king of Israel. Like, who am I? So Dr. Davis has a great observation. He says, this is like an Old Testament version of Jesus's dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. And they're all sitting around and in walks this person that doesn't belong. This, this woman in front of everybody, everybody knows what she's like, she's weeping and she goes over to Jesus's feet and just weeps these floods of tears on his feet and then dries his feet with her hair and Simon curls his lip up at her, just scorning her and Jesus turns on Simon and he tells him a story about a money lender canceling the loans of two debtors and asks him which of them loves him more. And Simon rightly responds, probably grudgingly, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And so Psalm 18, if you can, if you can think of David in those terms, that David is looking at God and saying, who's the one that loves you more? Well, I think it's the one who's been delivered more from more enemies and from stronger enemies. And that's me. And I don't know anybody else who's been as delivered as I am. And he's just undone by it. And so then he heaps up these descriptions of God, these Seven metaphors or names for God which put them into your repertoire of who God showed himself to be when he enabled him to escape from his enemies or conquer his enemies. And so personal, it's not just you're the strength or you're the rock, you're my strength and my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Like you were all that for me. And the commentator Derek Kidner says in this rush of metaphors, David relives his escapes and victories. He replays them in his mind in vivid detail. You were all that to me. Oh yeah, when I, yeah, when that happened and I ran around that cliff and I, and I had, you know, those enemies surrounded me and I fought my way through. Like, oh yeah, you were my shield then. And you see at the beginning of a year, it's wonderful to do a little reliving. How in this past year was God this to you? Maybe your health? Maybe something in business or with your family that you were that for me? 
I mean, you can just see David reliving, running around a mountain from Saul and refuging himself in the rock. The rock, my rock, is the strongest metaphor here. Well, second, God's hidden working. God's hidden working, and that's four through 19. So when David rehearses to himself all the times, he was, a, he was an inch away from death. He just recognizes in a fresh way that it was nothing short of a miracle he didn't die. I mean, Saul throws javelins at him when he's eating dinner. The whole army is chasing around him and he's on one path and Saul's on another. All the Philistines, the Amalekites, rehearse David's life. And, you know, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, David expresses something of this when he tells Jonathan, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Like he'd lived so much of his life that way. So some date this Psalm uh, to 2 Samuel 8, 14, which is really fairly early in David's established kingship, the height of his power when it says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So he pinned this Psalm at that point. He's secure in his kingdom. However, uniquely, as you know in your Bible study, this psalm is also repeated. And where is it repeated? It's also repeated at the end of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 22. It's part of David's last words. At the end of his whole life, he pins the psalm. So still others say, well, if it's found in those two moments, probably he used it in multiple occasions. On an occasion, a day when God gave him a great defeat. Now look at this graphic picture in verses four and five. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Calvin says of this, since the creation of the world, we will scarcely find another individual in it whom God has tried by so many and varied afflictions. You ever thought about that? You know, sometimes it's kind of strange how hard it is for David to get the kingdom. Something's going on there. Maybe since the creation of the world, God hadn't tested somebody as much as he tested David. Why is that? So those times when David was helpless, weak, and at the brink of death, what happened? What happened in those times? And David's only answer is that behind the scenes, hidden from view, concealed, yet more real than anything that is visible, God was sovereignly, supernaturally at work to protect him and to provide victory for him. The unseen God was at work. And that's what he describes from verses seven to 15. It's this theophany, this visible manifestation of God's glory. His anger is unleashed against anyone who would dare injure one of his little children whom he delights in. So he shakes the foundations of the earth, makes them real and rock, fumes, smoke, and fire come out of his nostrils like a raging bull. He bends the heavens, rides the storm clouds as a cherubim propelled chariot, 
rushes down from heaven to his aid, hurling hailstones and lightning and laying the seas bare. That's what he does. And yet, we read David's life and you never read this. Like, you never see this in David's life. There's no hailstones and earth rocking and cherubim propelled chariots in the story of David. What we read is David ran around a mountain or David hid himself in a cave or David fought in a battle. Nothing as dramatic as this. But you see, David describes these very ordinary deliverances which you could explain in other ways in these terms, in terms that recall the exodus from Egypt, God's appearance at Sinai, his parting of the Red Sea, his hurling hail during the time of the judges, epical events when God visibly manifested his glory, that David describes his deliverances and victories in that way, because what he's saying is a huge truth that spiritually speaking, even though you couldn't see it, they exhibited the same glory and power and goodness of God as the former displays of divine majesty that God unveiled for the whole nation of Israel when he accomplished those foundational epical events in the life of his whole people. And he's saying, in my personal experience, it was just as miraculous that you didn't see it. And he doesn't just say God worked behind the scenes. He describes it like that because it needs to be more than just information. It needs to take hold of your heart that that's really happening behind the scenes for you. Such that the poetic is replaced by the prose version in verse 16 through 19. What he did for all the people, David says he did for one little weak guy. And God drew me out of many waters. It's very interesting, the word draw out is used in only one other passage in all of scripture, it's in Exodus two. And who got drawn out of the waters in Exodus two? That little bitty baby, Moses, that should have been eaten by a crocodile, got drawn out of the Nile that God did all that for Moses and drew him out of the waters. And it looks like David is saying in all that, God gave me my little Moses experience. He took care of me. I'm his little child. And he moved heaven and earth to take care of me. And he brought me out into a broad place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. And what God did for David he does for you. In fact, the incarnation of the Son of God is much bigger than this. In fact, when God gives you a new birth to repent and believe, he calls you a new creation. It's bigger than this. 
He works miraculously behind the scenes. It didn't just happen. So if all that is true, if all that is true, is if in your life, God is that attentive and powerfully operative, then what is our response to that? Like, what is the most important thing we do? Well, did you notice in verse three and six what David's response was to that? I was undone without resources, a hair's breadth from death, and I called to the Lord, and I cried out to the Lord for help. He prayed it down. It's, it's triggered by the prayers of his people. God arranges things to where at the asking of his little child, he gets to work behind the scenes in the way you need him to and the way you feel called to pray him into that situation. Remarkable. God's revealed working. That's God's concealed working, his revealed working, verses 20 through 45. And David works from what God's doing behind the scenes to what you could see visibly. The way God reveals himself to work. What is, what is seen in David's life, what's visible in David's life. So what does God bring, so how does God bring blessing into our lives? How does God care for us and enable us to conquer our enemies? And there's so much here. I'm really trying to go, I'm gonna go very fast. But. So I have two main points. One is he blesses us through our obedience. Just simply he blesses us through our obedience. That's verses 20 through 29. A ton of wonderful stuff there. But David declares that God rewards him for the cleanness of his hands, for keeping God's ways, for not wickedly departing from God, for following his rules and statutes, for being blameless, loyal, for keeping himself from guilt, pure and humble. God rescues David because he delights in him, and part of the reason God delights in him is he obeys him. Which the idea is he's faithful to the covenant. And so we get a little skittish here. We who are very skittish with anything that looks like works righteousness. And there's so much to say, but this is a Bible principle. It's how the covenant of grace operates. And when we teach our kids, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Exodus is the paradigm here. The order is imperative. God first redeems his people from slavery. Sheer grace, nothing they could do. He leads them to Sinai and God then gives them the law and he says to them, in effect, okay, I've saved you by grace alone. I love you so much. Now keep my covenant and I will bless you. You are mine, learn to live like you're mine. And as you do that, I will bless you mainly in the sense that you will experience who I am for you more and more, which is really what we're seeing David do here. Now, of course, there's a huge theme you gotta throw into this, Job and Ecclesiastes and the cross itself and the idea that ultimate blessing is in glory, but the principle through it all applies. God blesses us through our, our, our obedience. At the same time, then we look at David's life and we recall that David also includes this psalm at the end of his life. And David 
royally failed with Bathsheba and with Uriah. Adultery and murder, how on earth can he appeal to his own righteousness? And we can say a few things here. One is, his life played it out. He had all kind of trouble that was self-inflicted because of that egregious sin in his life. Though interestingly enough, grace upon grace, God turns it to good. But David is looking and saying, even with that, my approach to life, I'm not denying my failure, has been that I have earnestly desired to be a covenant keeper. I've earnestly desired to be a covenant keeper. Dr. Davis makes a helpful suggestion. He says, David is able to keep together two truths that Paul kept together. First Timothy 1.15, I'm the chief of sinners. You don't even know. But 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You hold those together too. I am forgiven at the same time righteous and at the same time a sinner. God blesses through obedience, but also God blesses through our engagement, which is similar. And that's verses 30 through 45. Blesses through our engagement in the world. David says God brings blessing into his life as he uses his gifts and follows his calling. God made him a certain way to be used in a certain way and he was faithful. God blessed it. And there's wonderful interplay, which is so encouraging to me, between what God does and what he does. It's like Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We work out our salvation as God works his grace in us. And so if you just work through 30 through 45, it's beautiful. We have things like verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. And the sense is, my God works purposefully in my life. Verse 31, he is my rock. Verse 35, you're the shield of my salvation. Your right hand supported me. In a line that you need to tuck away, your gentleness made me great. Of all things, it's God's humility and meekness in David's life, which really is God's undeserved grace in David's life that made him great and also that taught him where true greatness is. Uh, There's more. You equipped me with strength for battle in verse 39 and 43. You delivered me from strife. God's working his purposes out and providing what David needs but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, the gifts and graces he needs for his calling. But then you also have David responding to that. He's putting God's gifts and graces to work. So that's that in verse 29. I can run against a troop. I can scale a wall, which is also translated barrier. So the question is, what barriers do you have? 34, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You dear hunters, you think of that as you're pulling back. 36, my feet did not slip. 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook him. 42, I beat them fine as dust. It's a spiritual warfare going on that's commended to us. God is working in him 
And he's responding to that in his calling and God's saying, look, as you're doing that, even if it's never seen, behind the scenes, God called him to be a warrior. What's God called you to do? They're all important to him and he uses it, gives us what we need, blesses us as we put them to use, knowing that he's behind the scenes in all of it. And then finally, praise for future salvation, 46 through 50. And this final section looks into the future, especially because the psalm closes down where David finally calls himself the king, but then he talks about your offspring forever. He's looking at the kingdom of grace extending. However, a number of scholars would say he's been thinking about the future for a while now, since 37. The idea is may the victories you've already given me be pledges of future victories. And that needs to be a truth in our lives. I want to focus on verse 50 though. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Ultimately, he's looking to Jesus and the fact that this psalm is sung by Jesus. Ultimately, looks to Jesus' kingdom flooding the earth. And specifically, verse 49 is picked up by Paul in Romans 15. So 49 says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. And Paul uses that to say, Jesus came so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. It's a, it's a picture of Messiah bringing the gospel to the world. Jesus stands behind Psalm 18, which unveils it so much more for us. And so we go back and we think about how Jesus would sing this psalm. It's so pivotal as we start a year to think about our strong savior in whom we have confidence. You see, the title, Servant of the Lord, David selects, does it not have a view to the true servant of the Lord, the Lord Christ, who served us to the uttermost? David suffered more than any man, but you see, David is a precursor to Jesus. And it's really Jesus who suffered more than anyone. That's why David suffered to spotlight Christ. Death encompassed him, destruction assailed him, Sheol entangled him. He took spiritual death for us, sunk down into the depths, taking God's judgment on our behalf. And yet God reached down, he shook the heavens and the earth, he descended in power behind the scenes, even bringing darkness at the cross, shaking the earth at his resurrection, and delivering him from the power of death, even as he delivered Moses from many waters. Jesus is our true Moses who leads us in the true exodus. And though David may appeal to his righteousness in a way In an absolute way, Jesus appeals to his righteousness. You raised me from the dead because I am spotless. I fulfilled your law perfectly and I did that for my people such that when we pray this psalm, we don't first and foremost appeal to our own, we appeal to the righteousness of our redeemer in whom we have a sure foundation before God. He declares us righteous by faith. 
And since this is our great king, we have a true victory from hell, death, and sin. And the psalm asks you, do you believe in such a king for you as you enter this new year? Can you say, I love the Lord my strength, what a savior. And can you say, Christ is my rock, like verse 46. Augustus Toplady was in a terrible storm and it just so happened that where the storm was, there was a cave and he refuged himself in that cave and he wrote that hymn. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the waters and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. That's where you're found by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, safe and secure in him. Amen. Let's stand.